All right, um, so class number 23, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your love, for your mercy. Lord, you've always believed the best about us. You've never given up on us, Lord. You always, Father, uh, look for the, the, the good uh, things in our lives, Father, to build upon those things. And, and Lord, I just thank you tonight that you're going to help us build upon the truth, Lord, that you've already helped uh, lay in our lives by your word and by your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the men and women that are in this room. I thank you for those that are joining us online. I thank you, Father God, tonight that, that what you teach us uh, during this time together tonight, Lord, will change every day of our lives from this point forward. And we thank you, Father, tonight for helping us bring our hearts to attention to receive, Lord, with meekness and humility your engrafted word. Thank you for information. Thank you for revelation. But, Lord, we also ask you tonight and believe you for impartation. Lord, may we leave here uh, with some things we didn't come in here with. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. So I want to point out, because sometimes I, I mention them when we start the classes, but it's great tonight, if you're watching online you can't see them, but they know that you can't see them because they normally watch online. But it's great to have my friends and my brother and my sister Buell and Teresa Moore from Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, in the room with us uh, tonight. So uh, love you guys, shout out. Um, to you all, I know they've watched some of last year's classes, watched a lot of this year's classes, and um, so it's great to have them here with us uh, today. And I told him at the uh, Hearts of Hope Banquet uh, this afternoon uh, that um, they picked a really good class to attend, and, and, and um, I love all these classes, I, the, all of them are different, the content's different, but um, tonight's class is probably in my top three, okay? Uh, of, of all the 36, and uh, if you'll let the Holy Spirit help you grab hold of what we're going to talk about in this room tonight, I guarantee it'll change your life forever, because our lives are transformed by the renewing of our minds, and if we will allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds in this key area, then again, um, it's going to make tremendous difference and tremendous impact, praise God, on your life, amen. Alright, so let's, uh, let's do just a little bit of review we're answering this question, what is man? Um, and we're, we're getting close to completing this section. But the first thing we said is that man is a God-class being. Second thing we said is man is a spirit being. Third thing, man is the legal authority on earth. And then number four, man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. And what we've been doing in, in, in this number four piece here is that we've looked specifically at characteristics, uh, attributes, abilities that we possess because we were created in the image and likeness of God. Image and likeness means we look like He looks and we function the way He functions. And we've said over and over again, I'm going to say it again uh, this evening, that, that your enemy is trying to use what you are against you. And when we don't understand these things, ignorant of these things, it gives the devil an advantage over us to manipulate these things that God has gifted us with and, and created us with, right, that are very powerful. But if we don't understand, for instance, the power of our thoughts, okay, as a man thinks in his heart so is he, if we don't understand that, uh, then we will do little to nothing to try to defend ourselves uh, from wrong thinking. But as we begin to understand, again, the power and importance of our thoughts and, and how God created us with the ability to think, reason, and form opinions, 
and the power that those thoughts and opinions have over our daily life and the quality of our life, well now, amen, we realize, okay, so we can strategically think on specific things as the Bible instructs us to do uh, and, and, and experience a change um, in our uh, life and, and daily lives. And, and remember, praise God, let me just get on with this right here. So we said that in, in this list, man is a being with the ability to think, reason, form opinions. All right, that's number one. Number two, we have the ability to agree. Remember, we have these abilities because God has these abilities and He created us to look like He looks, to function the way He functions. God functions by thinking, reasoning, and forming opinions. God functions, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect agreement, right? So we were created in this likeness and image to have the ability to agree. The third one, again, extremely powerful. We spent a great deal of time last week talking about uh, your ability to believe and, and strategically how that can uh, uh, work for you in terms of faith and also how it can work against you in the form of fear because we said that fear is your ability to believe working against you. Um, you fear something because you believe that thing has the power to harm you even if it doesn't, if you believe it does, amen, you will fear it and react to it in fear. Okay, so again, think, agree, believe, and then we talked about man as a being with the ability to experience and express emotions, and again, we, we, we need to remember that, that God has the ability to experience joy, experience peace, experience anger, a whole spectrum of emotions. They all existed and resided in Him before they ever existed and resided in us. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that the enemy has tried to manipulate your life through your emotions. Okay? We don't live by our feelings. They, they make a great servant but a terrible master. It's like money, right? Money makes a great servant but a terrible master. Your emotions make a great servant to serve you, but they make a terrible ruler to rule over you. Amen or oh me, but that's true right there. Okay? So we have this ability to experience and express emotions. And then the fifth one, and this is the one we're going to really focus in on tonight, is man is a being with the ability to speak, okay? With the ability to speak. Now, when we introduce this, and then we've reviewed it once, but remember, we said that these five things are, big words like mayonnaise, dynamic and interactive, okay? Dynamic has to do with the underlying cause of change. It speaks of something that's in constant motion or constant activity. So the idea behind something being underlying means that we may not readily recognize it, okay, but again, uh, it is producing results in our lives. And the thing, again, and I know I'm being repetitive on this, but I don't think we can hear it enough, right, that I want you to realize about these is that these five characteristics can either be your best friend or your worst enemy. In other words, they can work for you in positive ways or um, they can work against you in negative ways. How powerful are they? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Uh, if two agree on earth touching anything, it'll be done for them by Father in heaven. The people back in, in the book of Genesis, they had come together in agreement to build the tower. God said because they're in agreement and the people are as one, nothing shall be withheld from them which they've set their hearts to do. And remember, God didn't tell them to build that tower. That was something they came up with themselves. All things are possible to him who believes. Amen. No way to exaggerate this one. Right, uh, The last verse we looked at uh, last week where the Bible says you're not limited by God, you're not limited by those who God's put in your life to serve you, and you're not really limited by the devil, but we're limited how? By our own affections. 
by our own emotions. Amen. And then this last one, speak. So when we say dynamic, um, these things are either working for you or against you 24-7, so to speak. All right? um, but interactive has to do with the way they compound upon one another. So um, think of it this way, you know, thoughts become uh, uh, raw materials for our beliefs. Um, things that we think, reason, and form opinions, then we find other people who think, reason, and have formed some of the same opinions, we tend to agree with those folks, right? And this is one of the ways that Satan uh, helps solidify wrong beliefs in people. It's because they find other folks that agree with them, right? And so one of the things that I was able to say uh, very boldly uh, today at the Hearts of Hope, and first of all, you know, shout out to the leadership there in that, that not only do they allow me or support me to say that, they agree, amen? Um, and this is what I was able to say, once an addict, always an addict is a lie. It is, a, it is an absolute lie. Um, and, but again, notice now, there are a lot of people who think once you're an addict, you're always an addict. The, the thoughts, the reasoning, they form that opinion, and, and then as they find other people who agree with them, that solidifies that, right? And, it, and then it forms into a belief where it literally is, is something that they believe in their hearts. And it's a false belief, but nonetheless, um, it's, it's impacting their lives. And reckon it has some influence on their emotions. Absolutely. If you think you've got a problem that can never be solved, that's pretty depressing, right? And there's a lot of depression and anxiety associated with addictive behaviors, all right? But then... We come to this last one here, and it's um, that we are created image and likeness of God. God has the ability to speak, and so do you, so do I. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Amen. I tried to uh, review that quickly. I know we've got some folks that are, that are with us uh, tonight that are uh, you know, either new to the class or... Um, you know, have not been able to attend for the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to make sure I at least kind of, you know, brought you up to speed best that I could. The key thing, before we put that Galatians 4 on the screen, the key thing, for those of you, all of us, but especially those of you who are new to the group, right, we're going to primarily talk about speaking and, and our words tonight and the power and importance of those, right? But remember, please remember, all of these, one, two, three, and four, our thoughts, our agreements, our beliefs, and our emotions, um, all uh, provide uh, you know, a force behind our words. Um, think about you know, how many times we've let emotions overwhelm us and it's led us to say things right, that, that we should not have said. They were, they were, it, it, that's the, can we just get real about it? That's, that's the, um, the real issue with using, uh, we call them cuss words in, in uh, Alabama, <laughs> right? A cuss word, okay? Um, when, when you are damning something, you are not cussing it, you're cursing it, okay? You're cursing it. Right, And so when we talk about a curse word, corrupt communication, the Bible says we should not allow it to come out of our mouths. Why is that? Well, think about the emotion. That's, there, there's, there's something, you know, 
some words carry with them certain emotions. Some words even carry with them certain spirits. Okay, but again, that's for later on down the road in these classes. All right. Um, so, you know, that's why even I would advise you to, and I'm listen. I'm not the church police, and I'm not your police. Okay, so but hear me out. I would advise you even to be careful of um, swapping in what I call sissy cussing. Heck, dang, gosh darn it, uh, dag gum it, right? Okay, right? It all means the same thing, right? It's just, you know what I'm saying? Um, but even, even think about it, like in a moment of frustration, dag gum it. See, now, that, even there, I'm not even, I'm not even frustrated, right? But I'm, not, I'm certainly not wanting you to say it tonight, but I, I, I felt something in me when I said that. You see what I'm saying? There's, some, there's something that's, that's tapped into through those words, and it's, 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 a, it's a release, if you will, uh, an expression, if you will, of emotions carried within the uh, vehicle, the containers that are um, our words. Okay? Amen? Amen? <laughs> see, amen, right? What's amen? Amen, so be it. So be it. So, you know, you can go, amen. You know, or you can go, amen, right? I mean, you, you can... Put some oomph behind it. All right. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 1. Again, a verse we've looked at already, but I just felt led of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I came and put this verse in, specifically right here, again, uh, before we uh, you know, carry on with what we're going to look at tonight, because I want you to be reminded of this um, as we move forward. So in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now I say that the heir... Who's the heir? You're the heir, right? Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. And so we spent a great deal of time on this verse and others that are related to it to point out what we call two realities taking place in the same person at the same time. The first three chapters of the book of Galatians um, among other things, are establishing that you are an heir of God, that you have put on Christ, that you've received an identity in Christ that supersedes all other identities, genetic identities, gender, all of these things, right? We've received something that has transformed us inwardly and has made us an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus, right? Now, the Holy Spirit anticipating the questions that people would ask, right? How many of you know the Holy Spirit can answer the question you don't even know how to put into words, okay? He's anticipating, it's kind of like when Paul taught on grace, and he says, so does this mean, after explaining grace, does this mean we sin so grace can abound? Absolutely not. No, he's anticipating the question, Holy Spirit's anticipating the question, and he's answering the question before it's even asked, right? And there's a version of that right here. Because what, what we find ourselves as we have one foot in Galatians 3 and we're starting to put our other foot in Galatians 4, moving across now into what is clearly the transition of thought, right? The Holy Spirit anticipates this question, okay? I got what you're saying to me. I'm the heir. If I'm the heir, why can't I balance my checkbook? If I'm the heir, why am I struggling in this area? If, 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 all, if everything you're saying about me is true, then... Why is it this way with me and that way with me and so forth and so on? So he's anticipating that question and he's answering it for us, right? And so the question that he's 
he's asking, answering again is, you know, now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, is not different at all from a slave, though he's master of all. Because this is, this is kind of how the... We, notice, this, isn't neg, this isn't bad news here. There's, you're just like, oh man, I knew something. There's, here, you know, here's the catch. Here's the hook. You know, here's the fine print. No, this isn't fine print. Okay? And this isn't bad news. He's telling you, look, it, you're the heir, and if you're not living like an heir, it's not because you're not the heir. It's because there are some things that need to be dealt with and addressed in your life. But you're the heir. You may be living like a slave, but you're the heir. You may be living like a slave. You should be living like a ruler, master of all, because you are master of all. But if you're not living like the master of all, you, there's a reason for it, and we can understand and address correct that reason. All right? So what's the reason? It's what he calls here being a child. Now I say that the heir as long as he's a child. Well, what if, he's not, what if you're not a child anymore? As long as you're a child, you're going to live like a slave. But what again if we overcome this thing called as a child and we're no longer as a child? See, as we're no longer as a child, amen, we're no longer living as a slave because we're not slaves. Come on now, we're not slaves. We, we, we are heirs and we are master of all. We, we are ruling and reigning in life. All right? So now, we've broken this word down before. We're going to break it down again tonight. A child is one who is, number one, ignorant. Ignorant means you don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. But aren't you glad there's a cure for ignorance? Amen. We're all here tonight learning and growing and developing and understanding. In other words, let me, let me say it another way. In, and I'm, I don't mean this. I put myself right in the middle of this category with you, okay? In some ways, we all still are, are like that child, Okay? And you say, well, Pastor Mark, you should speak for yourself. Well, I'm speaking for myself. But until we're doing the works that Jesus did and greater works, we got some room to grow. Amen? So let's just, you know, we don't have to put, a, put on or pretend around here. We've all got some room to grow. We've all got some childishness and childlikeness in us that, that we need to, to, to overcome, right? And so we're here working on that because what does it mean to be a child? A child's number one, someone who's ignorant. Okay? So that means if... If you reduce your ignorance tonight, you just increase your ability to rule and reign in life. These things are, are in direct correlation with one another. All right? Number two, a child is one who is immature. So immature simply means not fully developed. So ignorant means we're, we, there's things we don't know that we need to know, and so we're pursuing those things, submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and those that He's put in our lives to teach us, and we're, we're overcoming our ignorance, right? But immaturity is more than just uh, hearing. Immaturity, and there's the way you mature is you begin to do, you, you begin to put into practice, right? And, and so and this is how we develop in the things of God. So someone who's immature is just someone who is not fully developed, but again, aren't you glad there's a solution for immaturity? It's called developing. It's called growing up into Jesus in all things. Alright? Then the third one, because there's a threefold definition here. A child is one who is ignorant, immature. Number three, unable to speak on his or her own behalf. Alright? Now, I, I know that it, 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 it's like so accurate... It, it's, it almost sounds like, you know, I just made this definition up so I'd have three points to cover here. I'm telling you, this is exactly the definition. 
This is exactly, if you, if you break it down in the Greek, this is what, this is, these are the characteristics of what this word child means in this particular verse. Now, I believe that we grow and develop in this order, right? In other words, it's going to be very difficult for us to speak on our own behalf if we're still undeveloped. And it's going to be very difficult for us to develop if we are still ignorant, right? So as we learn, that puts us in a position to mature, and as we mature, that puts us in a position, right, to speak on our own behalf, to open up our mouths and speak, right? So again, I use the example, I know some of you know what I'm fixing to say, it's okay, I'm going to say it anyway, use the example of when my son was very small, waitress, he's a handsome little fella, waitress bends down, hey there, what do you want, right? And he buries his face in Pam's side, right? John Mark's like, looks away, right? He's not, in other words, he's not ready yet to speak on his own behalf. He needs somebody else to speak for him. You hearing me? Okay. Now listen to me, please. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you, if you go out of here saying, Pastor Mark said he's not going to pray for me anymore, you, you misunderstand what I'm saying, right? But you realize that at some point, we've got we to kind of start doing our own praying instead of getting somebody else to do it for us all the time. Amen? Amen? So this is, a, this is a key factor in this idea of being able to speak on your own behalf, right? Now, I felt led of the Holy Spirit to, to review this. Again, for some, it's the first time you've heard it. Because, again, I want this to be one of those backdrops, one of those things that, that provides a, a frame or a context for what we're going to say tonight, because we're going to talk about speaking tonight. Right? We're going, to, we're going to talk about the, 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 the importance and power of words. And so remember um, that if we're going to overcome the childishness and rule and reign in life, it's going to require uh, some development and some, some learning and some growth uh, and skill even. Skill uh, in, in these areas. Amen? Alright, go with me now to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to review all of this, but um, as you turn, can you turn and listen at the same time? Um, in Hebrews, we looked at where the Bible speaks of, of God's Word as the mighty Word of His power. Not the power of His words, but the Word of His power. And we explained the difference between the power of His words and the word of His power in that we said that His words become the conduit. His words become um, the, the pipe, if you will, through which His power flows. Okay? We got power flowing to the lights, right? but that power is flowing through uh, electrical wiring or copper wiring. So, when we talk about the, the word of God's power... We're talking about the words that He speaks that allows His power to flow from Him into that which He's speaking to. Okay? Alright? So, again, remember, you were created to look like God looks and to function the way He functions. Alright? Now, words are a product of our thoughts, our agreements, our beliefs, our emotions, 
And all the force represented in these culminates in and is released through spoken words. The words you speak have the greatest potential to affect your life for either good or bad. Therefore, this makes this area the one with the greatest potential to make the most difference in your life. Okay? Now, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 20. It says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay? Man, there's a lot being said right here. All right. I'll give it to you again. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. See, we have a tendency to think that you know, physical hunger is satisfied by hard work. But there's something even... Remember we, we, that word in the definition of dynamic? We said it's underlying. A couple of classes ago we said they're hiding in plain sight. We, we often fail to connect, right, the power our words have over even some of the simplest things involved in life and living. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Now, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So remember as we went down the list of five, we said as a man thinks, so is he. We talked about agreement and to agree and power of Babel. Uh, whatever man, uh, if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, you know, nothing's impossible to him who believes. I'm trying to show you the, the, the tremendous power associated with each one of these characteristics, abilities, and attributes. Right? Now, when we come to the words that we speak, this is, the, this is only the first that we're going to see as far as the power that your words have over your life. And notice that he said death and life are in the power of your tongue. When he says the power of your tongue... He literally means that it pivots, it hinges, right, on the, the words that you speak out of your mouth. And this last phrase, now let me, let me talk to you for a minute, okay, can I? We're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground tonight. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at a lot of stuff. And the Holy Spirit's going to help us get the right pace. I don't want to go too fast and you not really grab hold of these things that you need to grab hold of, but I don't want to go too slow and not cover enough. All right, so you in agreement with me that Holy Spirit... Okay, now, you just... There's different ways to teach this, but I just like just to dive in it. Okay? So, understand, especially if you've never heard any kind of teaching like this, it, it may seem extreme, it, it, it may seem... Um, you know, a bit far-fetched or even unreasonable, all right? So, I understand that. I'm just asking you to keep an open heart and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm here to tell you what the Word of God says about this, okay? So, keep an, keep an open heart about these things, okay? Um, because um, 
you know, the, the uh, <laughs> like, like, let's just go back to it. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay? Let, let me tell you how the New Winslet International Translation Version reads on this verse, okay? Whatever you have spoken today is going to be on a plate for you to eat tomorrow. Okay? See, we even talk about eating crow. Right? That expression, eating crow. What is eating crow? Eating crow is when you say your football team is going to win the championship and they don't. And then you've got to eat crow, right? Because you said something that didn't turn out to be accurate or, or what have you. Okay? But he's saying here that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Okay? Death and life hinge upon the words that you speak. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. He keeps prompting me. So let me, let me, let's go back to, to where we were just a moment ago. All right. Um, <clears throat> there are few doctrines, and a doctrine is simply a system of teaching. Okay? There are few doctrines that you will ever go after to, to learn, understand, and receive, right, that are met with greater resistance than this doctrine right here. Your enemy does not want you to understand the power of your words. And teaching on these things is ridiculed, it's, it's, it's made fun of, um, you know, oh, he's, he's one of those name it and claim it preachers. Okay? Alright? Blab it and grab it. Confess it and possess it. Right? Okay? I heard Keith Moore say something recently about folks who, who, who say those things in, in mocking, uh, you know, in a mocking tone, right? He said, you're not mocking me. You're mocking the Word. You need to, you need to maybe stop for a minute and understand who you're making fun of here. Because Mark Winslet didn't write this or say this. This is the Word of God. Amen. Now, there are things in our lives that seem to be so innocent. They seem to be, um, you know, it's like, you're kidding me. It can't be that way, all right? I would strongly encourage you to at least for the next hour uh, proceed as if every bit of this is 100% true. Now, let me give you at least more of what the Bible says about it, and then you get with the Lord later and you ask Him, all right? But before you close down your heart and mind and allow the enemy, because remember, resistance is real, am I right about that? Resistance is real. Before you allow the enemy to, to uh, you know, pull uh, the wool over your eyes yet again, um, I'm asking you to allow the Holy Spirit an opportunity to reveal something to you maybe that you've never seen or understood before. Okay? So what if death and life hinges on what you say as opposed to 
what so many people believe, you know, that God's just up there maybe rolling dice, you know, to see what happens down here. What if it's not what God allows, but what you allow by the words that you speak out of your mouth? What if it's not what God refuses and stops, but what you choose to stop by the words that you speak out of your mouth? Remember, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loosed in heaven. How do we bind and loose? By words that we speak. Okay? Now, notice again, verse 21, death and life in the power of the tongue. Let's go backwards now to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Backwards in the sense that God had already spoken Deuteronomy 30 before Proverbs 18 was ever written. And what did He say in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 19? I call... I see some of you turning. I'll give you a second. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 19. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all right? Deuteronomy 30 and 19, I call, God speaking, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Okay, Now when we dug into, for a class and a half, man is the legal authority on planet earth, we looked at how um, you know, things happen on planet earth that are not God's will. And there are things that God does desire to happen that do not happen. So this idea that everything that happens, good, bad, or indifferent, is somehow God's will, the Bible doesn't support that. The Bible doesn't support that, okay? So what does the Bible support if the Bible doesn't support that? Well, first of all, we see that death and life and then blessing and cursing has been set before you and me. In other words, he's saying, here's death, here's life, here's cursing, here's blessing, but the choice is not God's. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Amen. Amen. I, I, there's, there is such confusion. When we go back to ignorant, immature, unable to speak, uh, there are one of the main reasons people are... are uh, you know, still in that childlike state is the ignorance associated with, with what I'm trying to, to reveal to you right now. Amen. Are you following what I'm saying? A, 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 a child just is, you know, has this, this mindset, right? It's, it, I don't mean like Jesus commended them to be like a child, innocent and, and all that. I'm talking about this what Proverbs calls simple, right? Simple in the sense that um, <laughs> we, we just don't really care about these things. Kind of just take them for granted and, and, you know, it's like whatever, you know, kind of mindset towards these things, okay? So I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. 
that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So he told them that in Deuteronomy 30. Now we see in Proverbs 18 that death and life, blessing and cursing, is not just a one-time choice, but every time we open our mouths and speak, we're either choosing life or death, we're either choosing blessing or cursing by the words that we speak from our mouths. Right? James said something is wrong when a born-again believer is constantly speaking blessing and cursing out of their mouths. He said that's like fresh water and salt water coming from the same spring. Okay? Alright, let's go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Death and life has been set before who? Whose choice is it? See, we, we keep saying God's chosen these things. God hasn't chosen these things. He's put these things before you and me to choose. Amen. You can speak negativity. You can speak doubt and unbelief. You, you can speak cursing upon yourself. Or you can speak positive. You can speak the Word of God. You can say the same as what God says about you, right? And experience the life and blessing of God in your life reality. All right, now, Romans chapter 10. This is uh, among the, the lengthier uh, group of verses that, that we'll read and look at. But I feel like it's Im- important for us uh, to see these. So let's begin at verse number 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things, verse 5, did I say that already? Romans 10 and 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Okay. Now, we're going to talk in the coming days about the righteousness of faith and, and what that means and what that looks like. But if I could just simplify it tonight, he's comparing two different means by which a man or a woman is made right before God in the eyes of God. The old method involved an obedience to the law. Okay, And remember, when he said, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death, blessing and cursing, he told them to choose uh, life and to choose blessing and to choose it by obeying Moses' law. Okay? That's the old system. That's the old way. We're not under that system anymore. We're not under the law anymore. It's not about the law and works. It's about faith and grace. Grace and faith. Amen? Okay. So, when he says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, speaking of that old system, the man who does them, the man who does those things shall live by them. Alright, it's just pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do you see, he's, he's not just saying that it's something you do, but the righteousness of faith involves something that you say. It's, it's words that are spoken. Okay. Now, before he tells you what it says, he's going to tell you what it doesn't say. So don't be confused by that. He says the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Right? Or, verse 7, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up 
from the dead. Now, again, there's a lot of teaching here. I'm not going to try to dig deep into this tonight. But he's basically talking about two areas of ignorance. The first area, I think, is, uh, is, is pretty clear, right? Let me see. Let me go back. Praise God. Let me go back. Um, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. So this, this group of folks fall into what I call two simple categories. Two simple categories. First one is people who don't believe Jesus has come at all. They don't, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come. All right. But the second one, and, and this is the one that we might be more prone to or vulnerable to. And this one is the group of people who have the attitude that is expressed, right, in words like, when is Jesus going to come and fix this for me? When is Jesus going to come and do this for me? When is Jesus going to come and deliver me? When is Jesus going to come and heal me? In other words, they're waiting for Him to come down into their life and do something for them. What's the problem with this? He's already done everything necessary for you and for me to be saved, to be delivered, to be healed. Right? So now notice, notice now then, if, if we're asking Him to do something for us, He's already done. If we're begging Him to give us something He's already given to us, what would that represent or reflect? Ignorance. Ignorance. Right? Are you seeing this? Okay, so he's saying that, that um, again, this is not uh, what the righteousness of faith, when it speaks, and boy does it speak, come on now, the righteousness of faith speaks, but when it speaks, it doesn't say, Jesus, when are you going to get around to doing something for me? When are you going to get around to helping me? Okay? See, the righteousness of faith recognizes that I am right before God in the eyes of God. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. I'm entitled to God the Father, from God the Father to everything Jesus is entitled to. By His stripes I was healed. Amen? The right, that's, what the, that's how the righteousness of faith speaks. Okay? So who will go up into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. And now we've got this uh, other error. And so it does not say this either. Or... Who will descend into the, into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So again, two simple categories. Number one, these would be the people who saw Jesus die, but do not believe He raised from the dead. Okay? Alright? But there's another application here. Alright? And, and these would be people who have not personally connected with His resurrection from the dead. Because what we will see in, again, coming classes, coming days, is that Romans 6 teaches when He was buried, we were buried with Him. And when He was raised up to newness of life, we were raised up to newness of life with Him. So the righteousness of faith speaks as one who has been raised from the dead, spiritual death, and has been given newness of life in Christ Jesus. Okay? Verse 8. But what does it say? If this is what it doesn't say, what does it say? Now, again, if you notice, there are, there are double quotes around a lot of this. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Remember, the Bible that Paul preached from was the Old Testament. 
So he's taking the Old Testament, dragging it through the blood of Jesus, and expounding upon it in, you know, to New Testament, New Covenant believers. That would include you and me. So he's explaining, he's taking these verses and he's saying, look, this is what it says back, but that's not what we say because we're not under the law, our righteousness is of faith. So what does it say? Well, again, he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament. The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. Okay? Now, somebody said it uh, this morning in class. Remember what he said in Isaiah. God speaking to you and me. God says this to you and me. You ready? God says, I have covered you. God says, I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. I have put my words in your mouth so that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Okay? God's covered you with the shadow. He's put His hand on you. He's put His words, His words in your mouth, but you've got to speak His words out of your mouth. Right? You seeing this? So what does it say? The Word is near you. Come on now. Aren't you glad the Word is near you? Do you realize how many people on planet earth, the Word of God is nowhere near them in the sense that they don't have a, 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 a copy of it or anybody to teach them, uh, never even heard it, uh, so many people, right? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So now, he's, notice he's talking about our receiving salvation, and notice we receive it by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. Believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Notice the difference here. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. Versus in the Old Testament, with the flesh, one tried to obey unto righteousness. We don't try to obey unto righteousness in the New Testament. That doesn't mean we shouldn't obey God. Again, our righteousness is not based upon our obedience. Our righteousness is based upon Jesus' obedience and the gift of righteousness that He has given to us. Right? Praise God. Am I going too fast? Sometimes, thank you, sir. I felt I felt it. All right. I said something in in a sermon. Um, I want to say it was Sunday morning before last. I think we titled the sermon "Fluent Faith." Fluent faith. Okay. Now. You can speak fluent faith in English. You can speak fluent faith in Spanish. You can speak fluent faith in Russian. The easiest way to speak fluent faith is in an unknown tongue. All right? But faith speaks differently. Praise God. When you're in faith, you talk differently. Absolutely, there's, there's, a, there's a confidence. But it's more than just a confidence. It's, it's, it, sometimes you have to twist the tenses, right? Because remember, faith calls things that be not as though they were. Amen. 
Because faith sees things differently. Faith talks about those things differently. And, and this is what he's you know, referencing here. Obviously, these verses, and rightly so, are, are studied and understood because of what they teach us about how a man or a woman receives salvation. But we also see that there are other things that are being, that are being uh, revealed to us here that deal with believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth. So again, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you've got to believe something and you've got to say something. Yes, brother. Okay. I absolutely do believe that. And by the way, dumb doesn't mean like dummy. You know, it means like can't speak. Okay. Um, and uh, so I think that's a, a, in other words, it obviously doesn't specify that, but I don't think that we're stretching something to fit there. In other words, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty clear for sure. For sure, for sure. Okay. All right. Now, again, how, is a man or, how does a man or woman receive salvation? Confessing with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, believing in the heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Alright? Now, with that in mind, go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. Colossians 2 and 6. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Colossians 2 and 6. We'll look at 2, 6, and 7. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Okay. Let's, let's connect a really big piece, right? You, you know, like, sometimes I use the example of, like, if, you, if you're working a jigsaw puzzle, and, you know, you, you, you work and you work and you work on a piece and a section of it, and then all of a sudden... You find how that section connects with the with with other big chunk of puzzle, right? And you just feel like you just like won the day when you connect those together, all right? So let's connect some really important and big pieces together now in this picture that's coming together uh, more and more clearer and clearer for us. Colossians two six and seven. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. 
Okay? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Stop right there. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Believing in our heart. Thank you. And confessing with our mouth. That's how we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. That's how we receive this gift of salvation, this abundance of grace, this gift of righteousness. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. And we receive that gift of righteousness by believing in our heart and by confessing with our mouths. Notice what he's instructing us now in Colossians 2. As you received Him, so walk in Him. What does it mean to walk in Him? It means to walk in the fullness of everything that belongs to you now as one of His. So again, walking in Him means walking in healing. Walking in Him means walking in freedom. Walking in Him means walking in wisdom. Okay, Walking in Him means walking in the power of God's Spirit. Right? Okay. So watch this. If we receive salvation by believing in our hearts and confessing with our mouths, how do we receive healing? Believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouths. How, how do we receive uh, uh, financial prosperity? Believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouths. He's saying the way you received, right, in other words, it's not like we receive that way, but then we switch over to something different to, to walk in all that's ours now because we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, but we walk in these things the same way we received them. How about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How do we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouths. Amen. Amen. Alright, so the pattern then again Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Turn with me now to Mark the 11th chapter. Okay? Mark chapter 11. Thank you, Jesus. All right, as is the case with these things, I'm not, uh, you know, brother is bringing up Zacharias and, and, and it's, a, it's accurate. Um, he asked if I'm going to talk about that. Uh, I was not going to talk about that. And there's a whole lot of stuff that pertains to, and I have no problem that you brought it up. It's a great, it's a great point. All right? But I'm just, the reason I'm mentioning that is there's all kinds of stuff in here that support this uh, that we're not going to take the time to dig out every, what, what, what the technical term is exhaustive. Exhaustive means you look at every single thing that has to do with it. Well, we, we would be here to 2021. The Bible has that much to say about these things. Okay? And, 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 main, and, and mainstream uh, religion... Okay, mainstream religion tries to make this teaching about the power of your words, they try to make this teaching as being extreme or fringe or, you know, again, those, that word of faith movement, right? You can't get born again without understanding this. You can't get born again without believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth, right? But, but again, the enemy is behind that. The enemy is behind that because... As long as we're saying ignorant stuff out of our mouths, as long as we're complaining and bellyaching and speaking doubt and unbelief, right? Remember, the words of your mouth, like all those other characteristics, abilities, and attributes, either be your best friend or your worst enemy. Amen? And if the force and power of all of them is released by number five, the words that we speak, right? 
So, again, I know things have changed over the years, and people freak out about the mention of guns and that sort of thing. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be weird here about this, okay? But the idea are, are inappropriate about this, all right? But if, if you've ever had someone hand you a loaded gun, okay? In other words, there's a, there's a, there's a certain amount of respect that you, you need to give to that loaded gun, right? In other words, if you understand, you, you don't put your finger on the trigger, you, you, you hold it, you, you point it to the floor. Um, even if they told you it's empty, you assume it's loaded, you treat it like it's loaded, all these other things, right? Why? Because, um, how about this? Death and life's in the power of that gun. Right? You, you could accidentally misuse that gun and end somebody's life right there on the spot. And so you recognize, man, this, this is serious here. I need to be careful with this, right? But when it comes to our words, see, the devil, he, he doesn't want us really thinking of it like that. He, he doesn't really want us to, con, to ever consider that our words are just as powerful, in some ways, more powerful than a loaded firearm. And so I'm going to say, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, just hear me. See, this is why we wind up shooting ourselves. We wind up, see, the devil doesn't have a gun. You got the gun, right? But he's trying to get you to turn the gun of your mouth, the words of your mouth, against you. He's, he's, he's trying to get you to take your words and shoot yourself with them. And shoot other people with them. Praise the name of the living God. All right. Mark 11. Mark 11, amen. I call this the greatest faith lesson ever taught, all right? And, we, and it's one of my favorite stories to teach from. And those of you who've been heritage last year, I know some of you guys were here, we, we spent a lot of time on this. But um, let, me, let me tell you what's uh, going on, all right? Um, praise God. Verse, verse 12, let's just begin at verse 12. Mark 11 and 12, all right? Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Okay? Now, I know that people love to, and, and, and I believe there's truth to it. The Word of God is multidimensional, it's multifaceted. It's, it's, it's manifold, it's many-layered, and you know, you'll never exhaust the truth and wisdom that's in a single passage. That's, that's the depth of it. All right? So I've heard a lot of wonderful teachings and revelations and deep insights about this tree and it appearing to have figs but not having figs. And, and I'm not discounting or dismissing any of that, but just hear me please. Let's not get to the deep things and overlook the simple things. And the simple thing is Jesus was wanting to draw His disciples' attention to that tree. He was wanting them to take notice of that tree. Just like if you walk down any you know, area, you're going to pass buildings, you're going to pass this and that, and you're going to pass some trees. 
but this is one tree among all the trees that they walked past on that day that Jesus wanted them to remember, right? And so He goes to the tree, looking at the tree to see if there are any figs on the tree, even though it was not the season for figs. And when there was no figs on the tree, and the disciples were like, what is He doing? He knows it's not the season for figs, right? He's got their attention. He says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And He walks on to the temple. The disciples witnessed this. I believe they were like, I picture it this way in my mind. Jesus is kind of out in front of them. They're behind Jesus. And they're like looking at each other like going, I don't know, like what, what was that, right? Okay, so they go, they take care of business in the temple next morning. Alright, verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus cursed it, how? With words, right? The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Okay? So again, if I'm spending too much time here, just stay with me because... Did I tell you already? I think I did. I, I'm being silly. I know I did. This is the greatest faith lesson ever taught. And I call it that, number one, because of who's teaching it. But number two, this faith lesson is an object lesson. All right? My favorite lessons in school. All right? So, there's an object here. The object is the fig tree. Jesus drew their attention to it the day before. He spoke words to that tree the day before. He goes in, takes care of business, coming out the next morning. Jesus is just walking on past it. Jesus isn't going like, hey guys, look at that tree over there. Remember what I said to that tree over there? He's wanting them to see it for themselves. He's wanting them to see it and be in shock. He's wanting them to see it and be in awe. He's, he's wanting them to realize what's happened. And in that moment of standing there and, and, and just in amazement, right? While the iron of their hearts is hot. You ever heard that expression? While the iron's hot, strike while the iron's hot. While the iron that is their hearts is hot, Jesus is about to strike it. And He's about to strike it with His statement. Have faith in God. What is He saying? He's saying what you have witnessed right here with this tree, right, is a demonstration of faith. It's a demonstration of faith. Jesus just demonstrated faith, right? Are you ready? Not just His faith, but He's demonstrating for you and me our faith. When He says, have faith in God. One translation says, have the faith of God. Now, let's keep going. Verse 23. Listen to this. For assuredly, I say to you, put the brakes on. I keep pointing this out to you. I'm going to keep pointing it out to you. Anytime Jesus says assuredly, you need to brace yourself because He's about to say something that is absolutely true but is going to offend most people's thinking. He's about to say something that's absolutely true that is not going to seem possible but is true nonetheless. For assuredly, I say to you, 
whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Okay? Now, I'm going to read that next verse, but before we read that next verse, I just want to, just want to point something out to you. How many times this verse has the word say or says? Okay? Let me, let me give you verse 23 again. For I say to you, whoever says, whoever says to this mountain, remember, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. But now He's saying this isn't limited to fig trees. You can speak to the fig tree, you can speak to the mountain, you can speak to sickness, you can speak to demons. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he wishes? Says. What do, you, what do you think Jesus is trying to emphasize here? What you say. What you say. You can have what you say. But most people won't quit saying what they have. Right? Right? We can have what we say. Matter of fact, it's not only that we can have what we say, we do. Remember Proverbs 18. We've been, we've been eating from that plate for a long time, haven't we? You have what you say. But most people won't quit saying what they have. Therefore, in other words, he's saying, in light of everything you've just seen and everything I've just told you, he's, he's giving you a therefore now. Remember, assuredly means he's about to tell you something that's going to offend people's thinking, but it's absolutely true. Don't let it offend yours. Don't, don't trip over this. Lay hold of this. Grab hold of it. Remember what Peter said? Jesus, we don't, we, we didn't understand the sermon either, but, but you have the words of life and, and we can't hear from anybody else what we're hearing and receiving from you. It was an attitude, right? But therefore means in light of what, in light of. Assuredly, is, it's, going to be, it's going to be strong and heavy. Hang on, right? Therefore means in light of what you've just seen, in light of what you've just heard. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. My favorite translation of that is believe that you've already received. Because that's the, that's the, um, the, the in other words, that's what he's saying here. You believe you've received it before you actually hold it in your hands, before you actually experience it. But if you believe, you receive when you pray. Not when you get it, but when you pray, if you believe you receive it, then you will have, you will possess whatever it is that you pray. Now, um, let's keep pushing here for a little while, but let me... Jesus, Jesus is teaching us something here that's very important. Okay? He's teaching you and me to speak the answer directly to the problem. Okay? And he's calling this prayer. Therefore I say to you what there are things you ask when you pray. He's calling this prayer. 
He didn't say, somebody come down from heaven and move this mountain for me, because that's not how the righteousness by faith speaks, right? Nor does it say, if Jesus really had raised from the dead, right? But remember, because we raised up together with Him, we're in Him and He's in us, the works that He did, we can do also. So the righteousness of faith speaks taking all of this into account. How about this simple statement here? Growth is when you stop telling God what your problem said and start telling your problem what God said. Okay? When you stop telling God what your problem said and start telling your problem what God said. Amen? But again, that's speaking. That's speaking. Now, if we wanted to study this out in the life of Jesus, Jesus spoke to everything. Jesus spoke to food. Jesus spoke uh, to storms. Jesus spoke to fish. This might be my favorite. Jesus spoke to fevers. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said to Peter's mother-in-law's fever. He spoke to her fever. Come on now. He spoke to her fever and told it to leave. Fevers must be able to hear because it left. Are you seeing this? James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Praise the name of the living God. Amen. Praise God. Sister, if I, if I read every verse I wanted to read, we'd never leave here. Amen. No, you're fine. What sister's referring to is the Bible says after that, when you stand praying, you got to forgive. Okay? Because faith is a function of the heart. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Okay? Because faith is a function of the heart, faith will not work in an unforgiving heart. Unforgiveness contaminates our faith. Okay? And so you will see throughout the Word of God where faith and praying and receiving from God by prayer or through, you know, that forgiveness is often connected to that, right? In the model prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors, right? So forgiveness is, um, is, is strategic in this. This is why, amen, this is why the enemy tries so hard to create offenses. This is why the enemy tries so hard to manipulate other people to hurt you and wrong you and spitefully use you and, 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 and all these. And this is why Jesus said, you pray for them when they do, you bless them when they curse you, right? Why, what is he teaching us? He's, he's teaching us 
that look, you know, you may have every right in the world to be offended, but it ain't going to be worth what it costs you, right? Just forgive them, right? Forgive them. If they take your coat, give them your, uh, give them your sweater. Amen. Because see, here's, he's not telling you to not have a coat or sweater. If you'll have the attitude that, you know, I, I was looking for a sweater when I found that one. You know what I'm saying? You, you'll have more sweaters than you'll ever wear or could give to somebody. Reckon God's got a few sweaters. Reckon He's got a few coats. See. But the enemy's trying to get us all jammed up, all messed up, over simple, trivial, silly little things we hold on to, and it shuts off our ability to operate in faith. Amen. All right, thank you, sister, for reminding me of that. James chapter 3, praise God. James chapter 3, and let's begin at verse number 2. James 3 and 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Alright, now, I don't know about you, but every time I read this, my ears perk up right here. Right? Because remember, I've told you before and I'll tell you again, the biggest threat to your future and destiny is not the devil. It's your flesh. It's my flesh. Am I right about this? Right? And it's our flesh that tries to get out of hand. It's our flesh that tries to pull us away from God's highest and best. Every man's tempted, right, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, is what, is what James taught us earlier about these things. And so, when he's giving us an answer here about how to bridle or control the whole body, how to be a perfect man, perfect there means mature, Seems like we've talked about that earlier, right? Ignorant, you know, understanding, mature, speaking on our own behalf, right? For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Can I, can, can I help you see, if you haven't seen it already, the, connect, the connection between self-control and word control? Right? Word control. Praise God. In other words, what do I mean by word control? Zipping your lip. Zipping your lip, right? Can I tell you what a, it was a wonderful day for me when I realized I don't have to comment on everything. I don't have to comment on everything. I don't have to share my opinion on everything. That's, the devil tricks us and we've got to quit falling for the trap, right? He tricks us into thinking we've got to give them a piece of my mind. Right? Well, no, let's, no, let's don't do that. Right? We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word and what he says, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. So I think you probably know what that means, but just make sure you understand. A bit is a piece of metal. usually has a couple of rings on it uh, on the end. You put the, 
the the round piece of metal or they're you know different shape what have you in the horse's mouth metal steel of some kind and then you hook reins uh to the to the edge of that then the 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 man or the woman riding the horse holds those reins and and the way they steer that horse is they pull if they want the horse to go to the right they put a little bit of pressure on that thing in the horse's mouth and it makes the horse go that way right he feels that pressure and and it, and, and it it's uncomfortable and so when he feels that pressure, he turns his head instinctively to relieve the pressure. When he turns his head, he turns his body. You got it? So, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Verse 4, look also in conjunction with, at the same time, he says, consider, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot, captain of the boat, if you will, desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Don't you love James? Man, he just he's told it like it was, didn't he? <laughs> For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. All right. Now then. Amen. Depends on the tide though, right? I think. Anyway. Alright, so he's showing us something here that's extremely important. Okay? And he gives us not one, not two, but he gives us three examples. Bit in the horse's mouth, rudder on a ship, and a small fire that becomes a forest fire. Okay? Let's look, first of all, at the bit in the horse's mouth. I've already explained to you how it works. But a few things that I want you to see here is because he's saying that your tongue is like that bit. If you want to learn something about the power of your words, the power of what you say with your tongue, he said, you've got to understand it, first of all, as a bit in the horse's mouth. Compared to the size and strength of the horse, the bit is very small. Okay, it's the first thing you've got to see. And so compared to not just the size of your physical body, but compared to the scope of your life, your tongue, in comparison, is very small. Yes, sir. Can I comment on, 
Yeah, probably are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so, amen. All right. So, the bit in the horse's mouth, very small compared to the size and the strength of the horse. Okay. But we see that that bit is used to not just control that horse, but again, to direct its course. That's important. Okay? Now, on the surface, they may seem um, as if they have nothing in common, but I'm offering to you that the bit and the rudder have a lot in common. Because again, the rudder is very small, compared to the size of a large ship. And it's not just the size of the ship, but we see that that ship is also dealing with winds and currents and other forces that are acting upon it to try to alter its course. But again, the rudder compared to all of that size, girth, but also uh, strength and power the rudder is very small, yet we see again that rudder is used to what? Direct the course. And he's saying that your tongue is like that bit and it's like that rudder. Okay? Now, when he says that the spark sets on fire the course of nature, we understand the concept there of just a spark can burn thousands of acres. We've, we've seen some fires of late that burned square miles and squ after square miles after square miles, right? Okay. But there's another aspect to this, and it has to do with, he uses the phrase, the course of nature. All right? So let me give you, again, just taking all this and... and and trying to bring from it, extract from it some simple life principles, right? The words that come out of your mouth chart the course that your life follows. The words that come out of your mouth chart the course. Determine, you could use that word if you want to, if that's too, you know, uh, technical of a term, chart the course. Determine the course. The words that come out of your mouth chart the course that your life follows. Now, determine the course that your life follows. All right? Now, again, let's, let's put the brakes on here for just a minute because that's, that's, a, that's a pretty... I mean, if Jesus was here saying it, He would probably give us a most assuredly before that, right? Because that's a pretty strong statement. It's a pretty strong statement. But again, is that not, is that not the context here that He's talking about? He's not just talking about the effect. 
that the words of your mouth have on, on you. He, he would have used different uh, examples to communicate. But he strategically chose a bit and a rudder, two very small compared to something very big uh, uh, things that chart the course and determine the course uh, of that horse and that boat. But I'm not done though. I'm not done. Because the last thing that they have in common to me is the most phenomenal. And that is the rudder and the bit both determine and or change and or alter the course of the horse and the boat by applying pressure. By applying pressure. Again, the person riding the horse pulls on that rein, puts a little pressure on the bit in the horse's mouth, and that horse turns. Captain of the boat, it's time to turn the boat. He turns the wheel, but when he turns the wheel, he's not turning the ship, he's turning the rudder that turns the ship. So that rudder has been knifing through the water as that ship was on you know, a course uh, due east or whatever. But now he wants to turn the boat and he turns the boat by turning the wheel that turns the rudder. And the moment he turns that rudder, that rudder begins to apply pressure to the water passing uh, beyond it, passing over it, right? And, and that, that causes the boat to begin to turn. Right? So what's the takeaway here? When we have situations in our lives, let's just call them mountains, let's call them obstacles, let's call them things that don't seem to want to move, that are blocking our pathway. Jesus instructed us to speak to those things. He instructed us, if you will, to apply pressure to those things with the words of our mouths. To begin to speak to those things because again, how does the course change? How does the horse move? How does the boat turn? It turns by turning the rudder, by putting pressure with the bit, and as the pressure is applied, we see the course is changed. Let me say it another way. The course of your life will never change if what you say consistently remains the same. If the course of your life is going to change, what you say on a regular basis is going to have to change. Now let's go back to, and obviously we're not talking about a modern boat here because there weren't modern boats when this was originally written. So we have to understand it you know, in terms of the, 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 the uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not av aviation would be airplanes. Uh, nautical, the, the nautical things uh, of the day. And, and so in, in that situation, and that's why those, those, those boats, the, the old wheel of the boat, captain's wheel of the boat, so beautiful and ornate. But if you remember, they would have uh, uh, spindles coming out uh, of them so that the captain could grab that. Uh, and, and because again, when you, when you start to push against that rudder, and that rudder starts to push against that water, the pressure, it's, it's not easy to turn. And then once he turns it, many times they would take a rope and they would tie it in that position. 
Because if he only turned the rudder, right, and didn't hold it in that position and released it, then the pressure of the water would return the rudder back to its original position and the course would never change. What's the point? You can't change what you say for 10 minutes and that change the course of your life. You have to recognize that we're talking about ultimately fighting the good fight of faith and as we begin to apply pressure to the things of this world to change the course of our lives, we're going to have to say it and keep on saying it. In other words, we're going to have to hold the position and we can't say, well, you know, Pastor Mark said that if I change what I say, my life will change. And, and I tried that for, you know, uh, six hours and nothing. No, no, you've got, you got to keep applying the pressure. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes, honey. I'm sorry. Okay, so all right, for those of you who, who watch it online maybe didn't hear what Sister Pam was saying, she, she went back to some verses that we've looked at already, and thank you, baby, it's a great, great point to make right now. And that is, the Bible says that angels hearken to the voice of God's Word. We're the voice of His Word. He's put His words in our mouth, right? And that when we speak His Word, they respond hastening to perform His Word in our lives. Okay? Right? Now, that's the life side. That's the, that's the blessing and the life that's set before us. But if angels are trained to listen to the voice of God's Word and do what they say, this means fallen angels were trained to do that very thing. But they're not listening for the Word of God to perform the Word of God in your life. Demons, demons are waiting to hear you speak fear, not faith, but fear, right? They're waiting to hear you speak unbelief and, and again, turning the, turning the gun that is your mouth on yourself because in the same way that holy angels hearken to perform God's Word in your life, demonic spirits hearken to perform your words, right? The devil did the, Does the devil not put thoughts in people's heads? Those thoughts become words out of their mouth. So literally, they're waiting for us to give voice to things that didn't originate in the mind of God, but originated in the foul heart of our enemy that he's planted in our minds. And now we begin to speak this out of our mouths. And demonic spirits are attracted to that, like flies to uh, you know, a, 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 a raw piece of meat. And it changes. It, words can literally alter the atmosphere of a room, they can change the atmosphere of a room. 
some of you ladies that were hearts of hope today. Did you feel it shift? Did you feel it shift there? When, when we got to that, that point about Moses. Did you feel that? Did you feel it shift? I felt, the, I felt the room shift, right, when we were talking about Moses today. Again, I'm just, I'm just trying to show you words. Words, right? Because, because words spoken, anointed words spoken from the Holy Spirit. But, in the, but remember, he didn't just say life and blessings in the power of your tongue. Death and life's in the power of your tongue. Death and life in the power of your tongue. Praise God. <sighs> Amen. So if, if, if we go back to number one, man's being created in the image and likeness of God with the ability to think, reason, form opinions. So those thoughts become the building blocks, right? Um, remember Paul said, when I was a child, <laughs> remember again back to Galatians 4.1, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I understood like a child, and I spoke like a child. Okay? When I became a man, I put away childish things. So obviously, um, if, if we think, understand, and speak a certain way, we're not going to live opposite to that. Our lives are going to line up with our thoughts, our understanding, and our words. Okay? So if we want to change what we've been experiencing, we can't keep thinking, understanding, and speaking the same way. See, this, again, I told you at the beginning, I'm going to tell you again, this isn't bad news. This is good news. I, I've, I've said it before. I said it in the book. I'm a student of change. I, change, I believe people can change. I believe I can change. I believe that I can grow and be stronger and more full of faith and, and, and more full of wisdom tomorrow than I am today. Amen. I can be teachable and learn and grow and develop and that change is possible. Amen. Right? Thank God for that. But where so many people get so frustrated with change is they try to change their behavior. They try to change their circumstances. They try to change the results that they're experiencing without ever changing their thoughts, their understanding, and their words. They wonder why it all keeps coming right back to the same place again and again and again. It's because what's on the plate for you to eat can't change until the words change. And the words aren't going to change until the way you see things change. And the, and the way you see things are, is never going to change until the way you think changes. Amen? Renew it daily with the Word of God. Daily with the Word of God. Alright, I think this might be a good spot for us. Um, I can't believe after doing this for so many years that I actually think that I'm going to get beyond, <laughs> amen, I praise God, we got about two-thirds of what I thought we would get to tonight, but that's all right, that's all right, let me, let me while you're, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to stir you up, okay, if the tongue has been set on fire with the fires of hell, 
and how great a matter a little fire kindles. Okay? Does it make more sense to you now why the Holy Spirit wants control of your tongue? See, there's a lot of folks, man, this unknown, unknown tongue, speaking in tongues. Are you kidding me, Pastor Mark? What's that all about? I think we're starting to see what it's all about, isn't it? In the upper room on the day of Pentecost, anybody remember what's set on top of everybody's heads? Tongues of fire. But those tongues weren't tongues set on fire with the fires of hell. Those were tongues set on fire with the fire of heaven. Amen. Amen. Right? You seeing this? I made a statement on Tuesday in class, for those of you who weren't there, I said this simple statement. You'll never understand the importance and power of prayer until you understand the importance and power of words. We, we, we want to learn how to pray and pray more effectively and all that's wonderful. We should go after that. But until we have some baseline understanding of just the simple power and importance of words, now we begin to realize how important what we say is and we take that understanding and bring it over to the subject of prayer and that Jesus gave us a form of prayer that involves speaking the answer directly to the problem and believing in your heart that you've already received whatever it is you ask. That's some pretty cool stuff right there, amen? All right, Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for what you're showing us and teaching and revealing to us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit's our teacher, and He's going with us tonight. He, he, he's right there. Father, the I, 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 only person that I'll lay down with tonight in this room is Pam, but, but Holy Spirit, you'll lay down with every one of us tonight and, and continue to teach us these things and speak to us concerning these things and showing us these things. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Good things coming.